Knew this was an impressive singing congregation. You know that that uh, Gloria comes from the 1982 World Council of Churches. Uh, so the original is in Spanish. So next week maybe we'll try it in Spanish uh, and see how we can do that. Right, please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, today, because of a very early Thanksgiving, uh, we have a Sunday after Thanksgiving that is not the first Sunday in Advent. So that gives us the chance, the opportunity, the joyful time to celebrate that great liturgical day, Christ the King. Now, if I were to think of a single liturgical holiday that is the most FCC, I would probably say Christ the King would have to be it. I mean, look at this text this morning. I'm sure it's one that you love. I mean, the book of Revelation, I'm sure that's the first one you go to when you open your Bibles. I can just imagine uh, last week, some of you out on the corner of Beinhorn and Hedwig, you know, on your soapbox, proclaiming this book of Revelation to all who pass by. So they come to First Congregational Church this Sunday to hear about this text. It's so much a part of who we are. Christ the King, the notion being that we celebrate that Christ rules over all. Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, as the text says uh, for our reading this morning. If you were to go back into the ancient world uh, in the 4th century, as the great basilicas were being built across the Roman Empire, if you looked up, you know, again, a basilica has a slightly different format. It's not a Latin cross, but again, you've got a long row of columns and a space, a big nave, and then there's the high altar and an apse, and then at the top, at the top curvature part, that's where you'd have this image of Christ Pantocrator, Christ ruling over all, and one of those images, conveniently, is on the cover of your bulletin. Christ Pantocrator, or you see that, those Greek letters, Alpha and Omega there, referencing this text here in Revelation, Christ ruling over all. But of course, when I, when I think about this notion of Jesus ruling over all, hey, Jesus is the one in charge, I think if I were to think of a, something that was more patently false, I would have a hard time coming up with it. I have to be a skeptic when I look at this and read this text. It's like, Jesus ruling over all? Are you serious? Go tell that to people in a Syrian refugee camp. Oh, you've lost everything. You're in the Syrian refugee camp. You've been here for several years. You're in a tent with your family. You have no place to go. You can't go back home. No country will accept you. Uh, You know, the UNHCR is having its budget cut. Sorry, you know. Oh, but don't worry. Jesus is ruling over all. Or you think of the, the, the boy in the migrant caravan that's coming up through Mexico to the southern border. Here's someone fleeing violence uh, in Central America. Um, Perhaps that child's parents or family members had been killed in some of the murders that go on there. And here's someone on this long journey, 
hoping to seek asylum in the United States or at least have some kind of hope of asylum. Little does this poor boy know that when he gets there, uh, not only will the chances of asylum uh, be virtually zero, especially with the new policies uh, of the government, but also we have 5,000 troops who, as of last week, have orders to use lethal force if anyone approaches the border. And there's a new deal being struck right now whereby these asylum seekers, rather than waiting to have their trials in the United States, will have to wait in northern Mexico. Um, who knows what the conditions will be like there as they await for one, two, three years for their asylum trials to be processed. Oh, yes, Jesus ruling over all. Or you think of, uh, you know, if you're... Thanksgiving tables, anything like my Thanksgiving table, uh, subjects of politics came up, and one thing that came up is concerns over the national debt. Our country is blowing up the national debt as we speak to record levels. What does that mean? It's pretty clear what that's going to mean. That means in the next five to ten years, entitlement programs will be cut. And what are the two biggest entitlement programs? Social Security and Medicare. So what happens if in five years someone who's based their entire retirement on those programs has to find out that their benefits will be cut or won't be there in the way that they thought they would be? Don't worry. Jesus is reigning. Or you can focus this on your own life and think, well, what does that look like? What does it feel like when Jesus is reigning? Does this mean if I'm about to do something wrong that uh, as in Genesis 22, like God comes out and says, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that bad thing. What does it mean to say Jesus is reigning in your life? Because if you're honest, for most of us, our lives don't feel that way all the time. Struck with that reality. Where is Jesus? Jesus is reigning. Christ the King. Great. Alleluia. Amen. But at the same time, we're struck with this, uh, the reality that the author of this passage uh, is John of Patmos. And according to scholars, John was likely writing his, uh, his account of Revelation during the persecution of Domitian at the end of the first century A.D. And so actually John found his way onto Patmos, according to scholars, because of persecution. So here's someone who's actually been through the trials. Here's someone who perhaps has been tortured. He certainly has lost his home. If he had a family, he's been separated from them, and now he's stuck imprisoned on the island of Patmos with an uncertain future. John of Patmos knows the struggle of, say, for instance, the refugee in Syria, or the boy coming in the caravan, or perhaps other people facing an uncertain future. He's facing as uncertain a future as anyone else, and yet he's still proclaiming this. Why? What are we missing? What's going on in this text, or in John's mind? It's where there's some hint in the passage we have for today. One of the things that John is able to proclaim at the beginning of his vision is that he is forgiven. He's forgiven. There's one thing that characterizes human life. It is the fact that we mess up. Not only that, we have complicated pasts. Things that we've done continue to haunt haunt us and stick with us. These things are real. If you don't think they're real, just go back to your Thanksgiving dinner table. 
One thing about going home for Thanksgiving, as I did, or as many people do, you go home for Thanksgiving and all these family dynamics, they start coming right back into play. It could have been 10 years since you came back and saw your mother, but boy, you get back in there, no matter how old you are, it's the same dynamic as it was when you were a little boy. (laughs) With all the pros and cons. I mean, I find myself, whenever I go back and visit my mother, I love visiting my mother, I love seeing my mother, but for some reason, I always need to sleep about three times longer, it seems like, when I visit my mother than otherwise. I think it's that something about that past just sort of weighing down on my shoulders. It came out in a rather, uh, uh, you know, forward way at one point with my sister where (laughs) my mother was always someone, I think like many people in society, courtesy of her mother, was very concerned about her weight. Uh, naturally, my mother would want to be larger than I think society would rather have her be. So she's had to focus on her weight for a long portion of her life. And so she has this tendency of talking about calories and how, how many calories are in things just without even thinking about it. Well, unfortunately, she's been doing this for a long time, and this uh, played with my sister quite a bit. My sister actually developed an eating disorder when she was younger uh, and had to struggle through that. And so there we were in the kitchen, and my mother started instinctively just talking about the calories of things. And my sister was just like, Mom, can you please not talk about this again? Please. And she actually left the room because she couldn't stand it. I'm like, there you go. Family. Thanksgiving. (laughs) Those burdens of the past that stick with us. You know, things we might have done wrong. Dynamics that we can't control. Things that weigh us down. Things that make us feel guilty. Things that, you know, hold us in. We are all struck by these. This is now, uh, we're now entering the, the, the holiday season. This is a really anxious season for a lot of people. If you're looking for a year-end review, this is when you're going to get it. And then you can figure out what that's going to mean. For a lot of people, that means a lot. Particularly if your company's not doing well. December can be a very anxiety-inducing time. For my father, he owned a drugstore, so, uh, and, you know... He did a variety of things, but one of the things he did is he owned a drugstore, and he made the vast majority of his profits in the last few months of the year, or the last month of the year. He was working all the time, and this was a really anxiety-inducing time. Christmas was not a relaxing time for my father, as it, as it is for many people. If someone is suffering from grief, it becomes much more poignant during this time. And all the mixed-up emotions that come with that, the things you might have done wrong, might have regretted that you can never take back, you know, if you're someone from, who suffers from depression or other things, they tend to come up more poignantly in this time than any other time of the year. Again, we feel that separation, that separation from God, that separation from others. People's tempers can flare. There's a lot of stuff that goes on this time of year. And so if there's any time of year to hear this message that John's trying to proclaim, that you are forgiven, now's the time. He remembers that one of the basic messages of Jesus, one of the core messages of Jesus, is that you, you are forgiven your sins. You are loved as you are now. You, you're okay. You are okay. And this is where you see John using this term that he, see, that he feels freed. When you can actually have that message sink into you that you are okay, that you are loved as you are. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you won't make mistakes in the future, but it means in terms of how you, how you are with God, you are okay. And when that message can sink in, when you can actually hear that you are forgiven and you know what that means, it's okay if you're not perfect at work. That's Okay. It's okay if not every holiday decoration is perfect. It's okay. 
It's okay if you've done things wrong in the past. We all have. God still loves you. It's okay. You're free to do better in the future. There's a tremendous amount of freedom that comes when you can hear that message anew. And this is a message that John starts, his, starts off his text by reminding himself of. Now, there's something else important that needs to be brought up. Oftentimes, we hear the phrase that human beings are good, fundamentally good, right? Human beings at their core are good. Well, Christians go a little bit deeper than that because that can be a fairly nebulous concept. So Christians like to flesh that out a bit. What Christians proclaim is that in the universe, in the world, this goes back to uh, philosophy of those days, in the world, in the universe, there is the logos of God. There is the word of God. There is the reasonal, there is that structure of the universe that exists there that is of God. And Christians proclaim from an earliest time in the church that there is a seed of the word that is in each one, is in each one of you. So that basinal rational structure of God, that self-expression of God, actually has a seed within each one of you. And that Christians proclaim that Jesus is the manifestation of that word. Jesus is that word made flesh. This is what the Gospel of John opens with. Jesus is the word made flesh. And so Christians can say, there's this, Christians can say that there's this resonance of God that's in each one of us, particularly with the message and the life and ministry of Jesus. So, for instance, when Jesus says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, because God sends the sun and the rain on all people alike, when you hear that, that resonates with the word of God, that seed that's within you, and you say, yes, there's something eternally true about that. I need to do that. Or when you hear from Jesus, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Focus on what you have for today. If God can provide for the lilies of the field, God can provide for you. Again, that resonates deep within us. It resonates with the seed of the word that's there. There is a content to this. When Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and everything else will be given to you, seek righteousness, seek justice, struggle for it. You look at the example of Jesus and you realize that Part of what God's uh, plan is, part of what God's way is, includes suffering. Suffering breeds endurance. Suffering is part and parcel of the whole package. But the word can still be in there. You can still confront the word of God, that seed within you when you bring up that. Care for those on the margins. Fight for those on the margins. Live a self-sacrificial life. This goes well beyond just, oh, be good, or there's a seed of good within you. For Christians, there's a content when we say that the word of God is there and the word of God is present. And that word of God, when you listen to it, that word of God, when you share that message, has a power to transform. This is what John is talking about here. That word, that Jesus is the word, is truly everywhere in each of us. And even through good things or bad things, it remains there What's needed is for people to actually bring it up and preach it so that it can resonate in your soul and help transform those around you. Christ the King Sunday is not just about 
talking about some pie-in-the-sky notion of some cosmic Christ, some Jesus floating up in the heavens. Christ the King Sunday for me, and I think for all of us, is actually an invitation to go out and make sure you're proclaiming the word. To say that in spite of the bad things that are going on, the word of God persists and it's in each of us. Listen to the content of it. Live into the content of it. That's our challenge for the next four weeks, especially during Advent. Can we try and listen to the word of God as it resonates within us? To love those we really don't want to love, but this is the time to do it. To forgive because you yourself have been forgiven. To remember those in the margins and those who don't have what you have. To realize that the narrow path and the narrow gate is the way that God is actually calling you to go through. That self-sacrifice is a path that leads to God. In our society, especially in our consumer society, and as we approach Advent, these messages are as needed as ever before. But that is what you're called on to do. You are all evangelists. You may not be in the street corners, but as much as you can live into the word living in you, you can spread that word and remind people that when all is said and done, that does persist. I'd like to leave you with the words of the Apostle Peter. In his first letter that he wrote that we have, a lot of scholars say that that letter was actually a sermon more than it was a letter. It's not addressed to any specific Christians, but addressed to Christians all over the globe, whoever hears it. And in that letter, Peter writes to you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, God's own people, a holy nation, so that you may proclaim the mighty acts that he has done for you, that God has done for you, that have brought you out of darkness into this marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Remember those thoughts. You are forgiven and loved as you are, and the word of God persists in each one. You are God's people.